Well, fire blocks, Reddit. Suddenly, after two or three quarters, I was the best guy in the mirror. They were like, yeah, we want to place an order, half a billion. I was freaking out. Google, from my point of view, has the best sales machinery of the world. What is up, everyone? I'm your host, Chris, and you're listening to Nonlinear, the podcast in which we unpack the strategies, hacks, and decisions high-achieving young professionals take in 2023 plus to design careers they love. In this episode, I speak with Janis Strelnix, a tech sales archetype as he wanted. We got to know each other during our time at Google, although working for different divisions through a mutual friend. He shares with us his journey, which ranges from learning sales to literally picking up a hot phone at BlackRock to taking the high impact career decision to moving from the finance world into tech and lets us know his top three sales learnings. Let's dive right in. Like when I think of you, I think of very dynamic career design in the 2020 plus world, basically. Like you switched from finance to tech, you switched locations. So you stand for geomobility. You had equity from an American startup even, which is not very usual like in, in Europe, at least until this point, like proper ESOP, not ESOP or something. What's your view on your career? Maybe summar summarize the most important steps for us very quickly. Like, why do you make all these changes, like locations, industries, like what's driving you there? All right. I think to understand where I'm now, it most likely make, makes sense to first understand where I'm coming from and what was the initial thoughts where I started and how it developed over time. So <clears throat> I studied banking and finance um, for my bachelor's degree because I thought I have to get into finance because you can make a lot of money in finance mm. that was like the major driver behind most of my decisions so far when it comes down to career so what's like the best opportunity in terms of hey how much value can i extract out of something and how much can i learn actually from a certain opportunity so i studied banking finance in cologne and then i did an internship basically at commerce bank I really didn't like it at all. Very traditional, old school type of environment. Very hierarchical. Didn't learn that much valuable skills during that time. What internship was it very quickly? Team, it was called technical analysis and index research. So it was interesting in that sense that I got to see or got the opportunity to see how a bank works on, on the trading floor which is really interesting, but I realized for myself, this is not the environment, at least at Commerzbank back, back in the days as an intern, where I wanted to be after these six months. So then afterwards I was like, okay, this is something I really don't like. What's the opposite of it? That would be a startup, a fintech startup, mm, right? Basically okay. coming from a bank where I just really didn't like it. What's the opposite? It's a fintech. Uh, early stage and I basically looked up all kind of fintechs um, in my area, uh, which was uh, back in the days was Easy Carpe or today it's Bezahl.de, which is actually now a pretty decent sized fintech in Germany with over 100 employees. But back in the days, it was just me, a couple of engineers and um, the founder. And that was a really great experience as I got the chance to be the right hand of an ex McKinsey guy, right? He was really experienced. And a really good network. I basically had the opportunity to learn from him. What does it take to build a startup from working together with engineers, project planning, sales, business de development, raising funds, etc. the whole spectrum of that. However, the startup wasn't doing really well. How um, many years ago was this? It was, I think seven years ago. Okay. Seven or eight years ago. And that was also my like first full-time role actually so i was studying on top as well so i that was during my last se um, semester in my bachelor studies and i started there like in a full-time job yeah so the learnings were amazing however the, the startup wasn't doing particularly great and yeah at some point i also realized probably it's for my long-term career it's not the best to bet right now on this one specific startup and explore just different op different opportunities, right? To see what's else out there, maybe another bigger company, uh, maybe something else because the startup wasn't doing great. I didn't have equity in the startup. There was not so much upside apart from the learnings I got there. 
So I, I quit that, that role. I moved to Amsterdam to do my master's in finance, which was quite a challenging year. Until now, I think it's one of the most challenging years I had so far, studying the FU in Amsterdam. And yeah, while basically being at the FU, I, of course, was thinking, what is going to be the next move after I finish my studies, right? I wanted to stay in finance. That's why I chose again for my master's degree, also finance, because I really wanted to double down on that. My interest was there. I really wanted to un understand the industry better. So I was somewhere between VCs. So I was really interested. I, I would like to understand the startup world better. And actually also the opposite, which is like an asset manager. So asset management was also part of my particular interests. Um, how did this, yeah. like, how does this interplay? Because you had yeah. this internship at Commerzbank where you yeah. were like, okay, I hate it. Yeah. Then you went to the startup where like you actually weren't yeah. like totally fascinated by either of the options. Yeah. And then you go out and I understand VC because VC is okay. I like to play with startups, think about startups, yeah. deal with founders yeah. and invest in them. However, then what's the move back to finance? Like I don't have such a yeah. detailed understanding of the finance world that I can now understand. Okay. You're doing this division at yeah. Commerzbank and this at BlackRock. Yeah. What's like, why did you then move back to asset management or think about moving back to asset management? Let's put it this way. Mm, so Commerzbank was basically a bank, right? So asset management at BlackRock is basically really thinking about, Hey, what type of products can you build or sell to other investors, right? To generate, let's say particular. Uh, returns or um, have some strategies to preser uh, preserve your assets, right? To make sure that your assets uh, don't decline over time. I found it super interesting because like the asset management side, I found super interesting because as I said in the beginning, most of my decisions were driven by, by this money and learnings, by money and learnings. Exactly. So if, so my thinking was, Hey, if I understand how the big investors invest, I can use it for myself as well. Ah, okay. Yeah. So that was why I also chose to actually join BlackRock. After I finished my studies, I joined BlackRock in Munich as an analyst. And yeah, that was a really interesting time and really valuable, um, yeah, valuable learnings came out of that. So when I joined, I thought, hey, I did my master's in finance. Now I know everything about portfolio theory and I did a really challenging master thesis as well on really specific modeling on risk adjusted returns for portfolios. And I thought I really understand the asset management world. When you join a company like BlackRock after you're studying and in a full-time role, you're like, okay, actually I don't know any anything at all, how anything works. Despite me be being at Commerzbank for a while, of course I had a general understanding of, of the industry. But also, I didn't join like a portfolio management team. I joined a sales team and I never worked in the sales, like pure sales team before. I was a part, like taking part in business development at the startup I was uh, in my first role, but I never had really sales experience. So when I joined, I didn't have any sales skills. And also BlackRock isn't set up in a way that they have, let's say a traineeship where you learn how to sell or how do you deal with clients and there's, are there like any specific sales methodologies, etc. You don't get that at all. So the way I learned sales at BlackRock was they had one telephone actually, which was always ringing every day, multiple times. And usually in those type of companies can ring up to three times, but then someone needs to pick it up because otherwise you might lose a deal. Like this, that's like a unwritten rule. The phone shouldn't ring three, three times, no, like more than three times basically, right? It has to be picked up. And then the thing is they didn't educate me much on the products. They didn't educate me on the sales part. They were like, just pick up the phone. Whoever is calling. familiar to some other experiences. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, just pick up the phone. I'm like, holy sh cow, what I'm going to do. So if there's a family office who wants to invest, I don't know, some hundreds, millions in ETFs, what am I going to do? Who am I going to forward them to? Can I help them out myself? So I was like totally confused. They basically told me, hey, if, if, if there's, I don't know, a bank calling, then forward this bank to that guy. If there's a family office calling, then forward the family office to this girl, right? 
So I tried just to pick up the phone and see what happens. And in the beginning, it was quite overwhelming because I was panicking. I was freaking out. And I remember there was one day where the phone was ringing and I was looking at the phone. I just don't want to pick it up, right? And then, <laughs> and then one BlackRock guy I worked together with, we were like, someone needs to pick up the phone and it's you. It's your job here. I'm like, shit, I don't know what to tell them. Just pick up the phone. But you picked right. it up before or you didn't pick it up? Like so it was the one of the first times. It was one of, one, one of the first times. And usually there was like someone else as well in the, in the office who just picked up the mm, phone, right? Mm, so mm. I always listened to what, what they were talking about, etc. But I never was in the call itself, right? And yeah, no one's picking it up. The guys told me like, pick it up. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> uh, and there was like some private investor asking some questions regarding some dividends about an ETF, etc. But that was something I was able to answer, right? Based on the information I got on a website, BlackRock, I figured it out. And you learn it by doing. You always, so I always wrote down, hey, there's a one question. I don't know how to find the answer. There was one guy I was always asking the questions because he was responsible for me. And then at some point you realize there's like many questions repeating themselves over and over again. And there's like also sometimes questions that guy who's responsible for me even didn't have an answer for. So we had to ask someone else. So in that sense, this is how I got into this whole sales world because before I wasn't really in there and I learned basically, yeah, That is actually not the worst thing to just pick up the phone and just go for it, even mm. if you have no idea. Mm. So that you always can look for help. And that it's not a bad thing just to speak to anyone. It doesn't matter if it's like someone, I don't know, really investing 500 million uh, on that day. Or, did this happen? Yeah, actually it did. PC called one day and they were like, yeah, we want to place an order, half a billion in a certain ETF. I was like, how much? like half a billion. So there was like a huge transaction, obviously, where the whole company was like, okay, mm. there's something big going on, what's happening. That's super, super valuable to understand because otherwise, if you wouldn't always pick up the phone, you might miss a chance like that. Because if you don't pick up the sure. phone, sure. they might call someone else and place a half a billion uh, order. And that's why uh, yeah, it's just important be there, pick up the phone, don't be shy. And yeah, just developed over time, got more confident also in the ability to speak with people of all kinds from C-levels, portfolio managers to individual investors. And you also learn to adjust depending on who you talk to, mm -hmm. which is a super valuable skill in sales. If you can speak to a broad range of people, but also in life, not only. So well, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that was basically the beginning at BlackRock. Yeah. So BlackRock taught you sales. So this was basically then the, or basically BlackRock made you jump in the pool of, of speaking to people and that you uncovered yeah. your also made potentially also a talent, because this is actually also what you're top of mind for me for yeah. you're like a cold blooded seller. Like you actually enjoy it. This is how I have you in mind. Like you just, regardless of whether you go out and party, like the next day you're either in the gym or you're working. So you were at BlackRock and then after, I think one year and eight, nine months, 10 months, you left and you went to Google. Yes. That, that was one of the biggest decisions I've ever encountered or had to think about because that's something not a lot of people do, right? So if you start in finance, you usually stay with finance, especially if you studied finance. So I was always thinking about it. Hey, I studied investments in finance, did my master's in finance really worked hard for it to get there at BlackRock. I thought at that time, this is the best place I can be. BlackRock is obviously one of the best companies you can work for if you work in um, finance. It was a dream came true early on already, if it's your first job. Mm. So I was on top of the mountain, felt like it, it for me at that time. But then over time you realized, hey, this is not actually that thing, what you would like to do for the next 10 or 20 years. Can I imagine myself being in this industry, working with people within that inter uh, industry 
and just talking about ETFs or just investments all day because there there were like some major takeaways for me or learnings and then the learning curve just flattened, mm. right? So I joined BlackRock because I wanted to understand how do the big investors invest? And then after speaking with a lot of portfolio managers, really understanding that in the, within the financial industry, especially when it comes down to stock picking, there's not enough proof that actually people who have, let's say, their own funds, that they can outperform the market itself. So there's actually counterproof. Mm-hmm. It's basically saying that most managers of funds, they're basically incapable in that sense that they are not better than the market on yeah, average. Sure. So why would you invest with someone who has, let's say, a fund and charges maybe 2% for that as a fee? Let's say, imagine you invest 100 million somewhere, and someone charges you a 2% fee and underperforms the market average why would you do that it doesn't make any sense and there's just enough evidence by now that just in most cases in most markets it just doesn't make sense and there was just a learning for me that like okay i should just buy etfs and invest my money in there right to just not waste my time with stock picking and all this kind of stuff because yeah that was one of the main learnings Understood how the bigger um, companies invest, right? The investment managers, what, what type of ETFs they, they pick usually. I was like, okay, what else am I going to learn here? Apart from, hey, building the network and these kind of things. But like content-wise, that was it. That was That's, the reason why I went there. That's super cool. You said in the beginning, you basically picked the role of the entire finance yeah. journey for like the reasons of... Basically, what was the first one? I can't remember. The main one was money and learning. Exactly. Money yeah. and learning yeah. for the bigger goal of building wealth. Yeah. So you basically, you joined BlackRock to understand, to not only build wealth at BlackRock yeah. and a network and understand things, but also to understand how to use it for your private investments. Exactly. So basically after one and a half years, so a bit plus minus, a bit more or less, you understood that, hey, you can't buy stock picking yourself, you can't really outperform the market. And you saw it yeah. firsthand. I think there's this very basic theory already of fundamental theory, yeah. which basically says this, yeah. right? I don't know what it's called now, but yeah, it makes sense to also then experience this. And then you, and then like you said, super hard choice arrived basically. So how do I switch to, where do I switch to? What do I do? Yeah. And yeah, what happened there? Yeah. So I was at this stage where, okay, I probably don't want to do this job anymore because I was basically still an analyst and there wasn't any exciting opportunity for me in the next five to 10 years. I couldn't become a manager there or I don't know, get like a super exciting role in an exciting division I would be interested in, uh, about. So yeah, basically I was at the stage uh, where I was, okay, I have to do a career switch, but what else am I interested in? So just thinking about before I moved to BlackRock, I was, was interested in the whole VC space and obviously also in tech. Yeah. So there was always, if there was news about tech, there's like new, I don't know, maybe software, new tools coming out. I was always the one checking them out. And I, I just was always curious about technology and software type of businesses as well. So I called literally like 10 of my closest friends and their friends from who did internships back back in the days at Goldman Sachs and Deutsche Bank and just asked, hey, guys, this is how I feel about BlackRock. I don't feel like I'm going to grow my career really fast. I don't feel like I'm going to learn as much as I could maybe somewhere else uh, in a different environment right now at, at the moment. So I just asked them about their experience and their experience was very similar. So my experience was good in a sense that the culture of BlackRock was pretty good comparable to other investment banks where it was more rough. But in that sense, everyone was saying the same. Hey, we got our learnings. We are there and you just wait basically until you get promoted, this and that. So that didn't sound like a way I want to structure my career. And I have one friend who um, joined Google, um, Donnie, who was also your friend, obviously. Um, And... He was super happy about Google. He was like, the culture is amazing. I'm learning a lot. I'm learning about marketing. I'm learning great sales skills, super fun. And that sounded 
totally different than what I heard from the people from Deutsche Bank, mm. from Goldman Sachs, and also obviously for me from BlackRock, because mm. it's just very hierarchical and traditional and very old school mm -hmm. in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that sounded super exciting. I was like, honestly, let's go for it. Yeah, he referred me to Google. I got interviews. I landed the job and I moved to Dublin. That was actually when Google sent me the, the email that they basically want me on the team. That was one of the happiest days of my life so far. I felt, oh my God, after landing a job at BlackRock, now I landed a job at Google. Like, this is amazing. This is unbelievable because I'm actually coming from a very simple type of background. Yeah. I wasn't ever even imagining that I would land even an internship at one of those companies. But yeah, I was super excited. Back in the days, I was living in Munich, had to move to Dublin. Wasn't really excited about Dublin, to be honest, because I'm not the biggest Guinness drinker and I know it's rainy and Munich is a beautiful city. Yeah. But because of the opportunity, because it's Google, I would have moved anywhere in the world. Ah, for a okay. While. Really? Like, like how rough mm -hmm. is this? Or was this? Is it actually worth mentioning making the switch from finance to tech and from Munich to Dublin? Was this entire scenery of switch difficult for you? Or was it quite easy because Donnie is like one of your closest friends? And then it was like, okay, I'm. Because for many people, this identity shift, particularly when you go into entrepreneurship or do like different things than other people do, like the identity phase is often also a, a point, at least also for me, it was one. And like, how was this for you? Was it super easy to make this shift? Mm, it wasn't super hard. Let's say that way, because I was, so if I'm not happy in, in my job, And that's something I'm basically doing most of my time. I'm working. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So most of, of the time of during a day, I'm literally spending working. If I'm not happy there, then I have to make a change. And Google was the next opportunity, uh, opportunity, despite Munich, obviously being my preferred location, they didn't have any job opportunities in there. So yeah, I would have moved anywhere and it also would not have mattered to me that much if my friend Daniel is there or not, because I also would have moved there without him being there. Obviously it was nice in the end because we moved together. We spent a lot of time together. We had cool products together. We had a business, a nightlife business in, in, in Dublin as well. We organized parties, right? We organized parties. We call it a nightlife business. We organized parties in, yeah, in yeah. How many for, for tech people. How many? I think it was around like 10 or something, but like up to 800 people attended. So the, the largest one was 800 people. Crazy. And why did you start? Corona, right? COVID. Ah, COVID wow. strike. We had on St. Patrick's Day, we had a really good party coming on. So everything was planned already. And then COVID strike. Okay. So we had to cancel everything. A lot of people moved out of country back to their families because it was a time of uncertainty and people just wanted to be with their families and literally didn't know what's going to happen, which I... Totally understand. I was the only, so I was living in a house with six people from Google and Meta. And I was the only, the only one left in Ireland. And uh, yeah, at some point I also moved back to Germany then. And then you moved back and then I think you flipped back to Fireblocks, right? To finance more or less. Mm, so first I was, uh, so I landed this account management job at Google where I learned a lot about um, online marketing, sales, how to... Um, Yeah, speak with people at scale. Uh, BlackRock was more, it was less of a salesy job. Google was very more salesy in, in that sense because BlackRock was more about insights and uh, specific products and answering specific questions from investors. While Google was literally picking up the phone, calling 30 times a day on cold calling, mm. setting, I don't know, five or six calls a day, like lasting like 45 minutes each. That was like a machine gun approach. That was like totally the, the opposite, um, which I experienced also at Google. And for me, in the beginning it was shocking because I was like, holy cow, what are we doing? Is this, is this even serious? The way we are calling yeah. and bombarding people? Yeah. Because it's a totally different world. Yeah. Tech sales and finance, totally different worlds. Yeah, like finance is probably more mm -hmm. inbound and Google is like outbound. Correct, right? exactly. So someone calls you usually, says, hey, I want to invest. Can you advise me here? Of course, you were also doing outbound and visiting people and trying to get into certain portfolios and, and budgets, etc. But Google was just like, really, we got a book of business for 120 
clients and we had to interact with all of them and we had to implement new products or adjustments or improve the performance of their campaigns for 80, 80 of them or 70, which means you get like a random book and you just have to make the best out of it and you have to really squeeze it. You have to call them, you have to send cold emails, you have to bring people back to the platform if they stopped. It was totally different skill set I got at Google and that, that was actually also the time where I learned sales. So Google taught me sales. They had really great programs, they had coaches there, they had all kinds of ways how you could improve yourself. A lot of, so Google is, was really collaborative. I was able to go to any of my peers and they would teach me how they do this specific job in the best possible way. And at BlackRock, that would not have been even possible because everyone was so much more senior than I was. I was the youngest guy in mm -hmm. the office. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any peers to learn from, which made it not really easy as yeah. well. That's super cool to hear that Google was so like a couple of nice buzzwords you dropped, like collaborative, everyone teaching each other stuff. You have a couple of coaches who teach you the skills. Like how, can you double click on the training? Like how many training sessions did you have over these three years or like? Mm, I don't know how many we had. I, I know we, we had every week, probably some, something coming up because we had like a bunch of products, right? So display ads, YouTube ads, search ads, shopping ads. And then you had all kinds of other projects going on. So at Google, it was not only about <clears throat> learning about the products and doing sales trainings, but also making sure that you bring the company or your team forward on other projects. Mm -hmm. right? So that was also really interesting. And in the beginning, I was really a shitty seller at Google. I was not used to that type of selling. At some point, I, I don't know if I had a mindset flip because I said, hi, I'm not doing really well in the first month at Google. I was one of the worst in my team. I was like, this can't be true. Like I worked at BlackRock, come on, I must know how to do this. Then I got some really valuable feedback from a manager. Hey, look at the best guy on the team. Ask him how he's doing it. Just do the same. Mm. I just did that. And then suddenly after, yeah, two or three quarters, I was the best guy in EMEA, which is obviously great at the company, as a super competitive company like Google. They were always very transparent as well with all the activities, all the achievements you had. So <clears throat> Google, from my point of view, has the best sales machinery of the world. Oh, wow. I'm not saying that they have the best sellers individually, but as a sales machinery, that is the, the best one for sure. And that comes down to a few things like ga gamifying sales. Mm -hmm. So they had a point system mm -hmm. where every single time we had a call with a client, Obviously, we tried to make some changes in the account to help the client grow. And these changes were rewarded with points. And at the end of each day or in the, like in the morning of every day, everyone was checking their, like how much points they got, because you could see the points of everyone from your team, from EMEA globally. So you always knew, are you the number one in your team? Are you the number one in EMEA or what? So you could always see the best performers and also the low performers. No one want to be down there. It was super transparent. So everyone was working their asses off um, at Google. And uh, yeah, that's what I mean by sales machinery, that they really understood what makes people tick in the way that they're most productive. Mm -hmm. They really understood that, gamified that, and really doubled down on that and executed really well. Yeah. Yeah, super, super interesting stuff. Like I didn't know this, the gaming yeah. gamification system, like at, at cloud, when I started, we were like, yeah, like Google cloud is like a totally different business unit of, of Google, but that's something also Google knows. Well, I think Google cloud is very much more traditional sales. So it's very comparable to SaaS sales, you know, like Salesforce would do their outbound and how they would basically structure it, right? There's like a certain process certain playbooks you basically copy paste and you just do it with all kind of companies very similar for SaaS companies and google Cloud probably as well for google ads this was totally different totally different what are like the 
like maybe one of the last points mm -hmm. on Google before we then move on. Yeah. Like you, you mentioned that your sales game leveled up. Yeah. You basically learned sales at Google. 100%. What are the, like one to three epiphanies you had like about direct sales, outbound sales? Like, yeah. One of the epiphanies I had was the volume matters. So the mm. volume really matters in terms of how much outreach you, you do, how many meetings you have, because if you don't have the volume and just only focus on, let's say, the quality of the accounts you're talking to or the quality of your conversations and not the quantity, then you're not going to hit your targets. That was one of my main learnings. Also, well, prioritizing your book of business in a way that you understand where, let's say, 80% of your revenue is coming from by seeing the growth of a certain account or... Yeah, basically the analysis of your book at the beginning of each quarter was one of the most important things you could do because you need to, to understand, okay, which client has the highest potential to spend a lot in this specific quarter? Was there any seasonality or something like that in the specific quarter? Which account was growing quarter on quarter, year on year the most? So I have to maybe spend some more time on which ones are declining so I know how to adjust my time and how to prioritize those accounts. Because if I win the top 30 accounts in, in my book of 120, then I'm already pretty much set up for success for the quarter. <clears throat> if I would focus on the, I don't know, let's say on the wrong accounts, I wouldn't have a strategy in place, how to approach a quarter, how to prioritize um, my, my day, my, my month and my year, basically, then I wouldn't be successful. So that was like this prioritization and really, and really making sure you're working on the right things. It was also a great learning. And yeah, I think one, one of the other learnings just in general was that you need to bring a lot of value to people first to get their attention. So when you reach out to someone saying just, Hey, I'm Yanis, I work for Google, let's have a chat. Doesn't work. So basically, if you want to have a conversation with someone, provide them with some value in advance so that they know, Hey, if you can send me value already by email, I'm going to get more value when I talk to you out of it. So basically making sure how to get calls with people who actually maybe don't want to talk with, with you or are non-responsive. That's also one of the key skills, I think, in sales to tailor your messages, provide a lot of value in advance to make sure that you actually earn the right to have the conversation with them because it's obviously their time. Time is valuable. But yeah, that was one, one of the, yeah, I, I would say those three were the main uh, takeaways. Super nice and insightful. Hey, and very last question before we move on, how do you regulate your mindset or your mind in sales? You did an industry switch, company switch, used to, like you were at the very beginning, of course, you didn't know how to do it. Then you were the top performer. Then you experienced COVID. So you did remote selling. Then at some point, which we will get to, like you worked for a company, which is in the US and work remote, a company, which was then a crypto company in a time where crypto was super difficult. Like just also, because I just think, I think it neatly fits this entire sales part. Like how do you go about, do you actually experience slumps in your mind in sales and how do you then cope with it? Yeah, I think everyone who's in sales experienced these the slumps, but I think it's really about how you deal with it and how you just want to make sure that you keep progressing despite having this slump, right? So there might be a client, maybe who cancels the contract doesn't want to spend with you anymore. And there's nothing you could have done differently. So maybe you're not going to hit target this specific quarter. You can, of course, make a plan to change it somehow or influence it positively and still maybe come close to your target. But just have, having this experience and also this mindset, it's sometimes there's like higher powers in that sense that you can't do anything about it. But... You have to make sure that the next quarter or the quarter afterwards is much, much better because you built a solid pipeline and you diversify your opportunities as well. So in sales, there's oftentimes, yeah, books of businesses where there's one account I don't know, generating 80% of the revenue or 
even more. If that account cancels the contract, you're screwed. So how do you make sure that your book of business is diversified? Yeah, you just have, you actually have to just make a plan for it, execute it and uh, yeah, basically go after it. Also, I think a lot of mindset improvement books, podcasts, this kind of things also really helps. Do you do this? Yes, actually I do. I listen a lot to podcasts, all kinds of podcasts. Uh, Alex Homozi, obviously, a really good one. You re recommended the guy to me. I checked him out. Really good stuff. Reading books about sales. I think about just like mindset in general, different sales methodologies. Like you have to... I think to be really good in your specific space, you have to also dedicate some time to learn different methodologies, learn from other people and just um, hear how other people are doing things and just be curious about, hey, is there something I'm missing on right now? Is there something I could improve? And just be, being also, you have to be very positive in sales because you're dealing with a lot of no's and a lot of BS every day, right? Uh, so you have to be, you have to have a really positive mindset and you have to, yeah, make sure that these slums don't bring you in a place where it just doesn't move forward. And that happens with many sellers. So if they lose one of their main accounts, they don't know what to do. They're screwed for s several quarters. And it's, that's why it's really important to make sure in advance you do everything possible. Your book is diversified, you learn trying to improve, you ask, I don't know, your peers, your managers for feedback, for advice, you listen to podcasts, you read books, you're just trying to improve your mindset, your learnings, and yeah, so it just reflects also in your work. Are there any learnings, because you just mentioned di uh, diversified, yeah. which when I hear diversified, the next word, if I was an LLM, the yep. next word would be portfolio. Yeah. So are there any cross learnings you made from finance to tech sales? Like that you put more emphasis on diversification on your book of business, for instance? Did you see structural differences between you, how you work and others? Wouldn't say so. Wouldn't say so because with the investments, it's slightly different than is with your book of business because with your book of business, it's obvious. With investments, it's less mm -hmm. obvious that you have to diversify things and that there's like actually some certain market mechanics behind it, which you can't really influence. So yeah. Most people get a below average return if they invest themselves, which is a little sad. Yeah. Hey, let's now zoom out and go look look again at your like career trajectory. What did you do afterwards? Um, and how did it develop? What yeah. did you learn? Yeah. So I was uh, working in a new business team at Google in, in Berlin, and I was working together with uh, yeah, a lot of finance uh, companies. And yeah, I just basically got approached by a company from Tel Aviv and New York. So they have two headquarters, which was called Fireblocks, or is called Fireblocks, which is the largest yeah, infrastructure provider for cybersecurity, for crypto-related uh, businesses. Yeah, so they provide wallets. They make sure that the wallets are not getting hacked. They make sure you can do your tr transactions safely. So they reached out to me. And back in the days, I was really curious about crypto. There was this crypto hype obviously happening. And I was like, okay, what is this all about? Do I want to stay in, let's say, the big tech environment for the long run? Or am I going to follow again my curiosity, which is, I think, very important to do in life, and join like a new uprising startup, which is also like a fintech, decacorn, a unicorn, $8 billion valuation. The growth was insane. I think they, they were the fifth fastest or fourth fastest company to ever hit a uh, hundred million in revenue, mm, which is, yeah, basically super, super impressive. And yeah, it was a totally different challenge as well. It was SaaS sales in the end. I haven't done SaaS sales so far. It's also a different type of sales environment because you get those very traditional let's say playbooks from Salesforce where you have, I know you have, let's say bands basically where you mm -hmm. have SDRs working on the, let's say qualification of clients. Then you pipeline generation, right? Basically pipeline generation. So it's like a very different approach and you have like certain stages where you just move things through the process. We didn't have it that much at Google. So we were still working with Salesforce. Yes, we did, but we didn't follow. We 
didn't have like pipeline reviews and these kind of things. So I'll, that was also completely new learning for me. And also the whole industry, right? Cybersecurity never had something to do with it. It was super interesting, very good learnings. Crypto industry also, Firebox is one of the best names or uh, most positively considered names in the whole industry. So that was really cool. Everyone knew Fireblocks within this niche field of crypto. And the learnings I had there was mostly about the product and the industry and really understanding what, what crypto is all about and which business models in crypto work. For me, the learnings were specifically that most business models right now, which in, which in crypto do work, are exchanges. Anything else? Shout Not out so much. To, shout out to SBF. Exactly. Big shout out to SBF. <laughs> There's a lot of fraud happening in, in the crypto industry, which is not good at all. And I think the crypto industry still has potential, but it's going to look so much different than it was, I don't know, maybe in the early days where there was like the, all these crypto hypes, there were coins being pumped, going through the moon, etc. Because right now, I, I think a lot of people got into crypto because they didn't see it any interest rates being paid by their banks, right? It was like 0% interest. Now we have 4% interest mm. with Trade Republic. So why should I risk my money to go down like 50% within, I don't know, a month, if I can just, just put it on the, on the bank account, get 4% for it. So the, the whole environment structure has changed. So now it's more about if crypto is going to survive uh, in the long run, it's going to be some kind of infrastructure play. So what, what's... PayPal is doing with uh, uh, launching their crypto offering is super, super interesting. Visa is working on some bigger projects. So I think in the space of payments, it's going to be really useful because literally crypto can eliminate a lot of friction, first of all, and also just basically middlemen to save costs during a transaction, which is amazing. But yeah, just still very, very fragmented and it's going to take a long time uh, uh, to see basically which chain is going to be the main one um, ex accepted by, by most and also which coin is uh, going to be the one accepted by most. Hey, what's, what, what's super nice to see is that like you started out your journey with like learnings and wealth creation for yourself and like learnings about wealth creation uh, you, and, and then basically the step to Empire Blocks is then or crypto was at least for a certain time one of the few opportunities where you could actually through retail investing make some money right yeah of course also like ultra high volatility and super high risk but this is how your journey then then you move back to or now you move back to ad sales yeah to exactly. reddit yeah because so why did i move back to, to reddit crypto space was super interesting but there, there's a huge but if the hype is not there anymore for crypto coins if there's not a lot of trading happening the crypto space goes into crypto winter there's not so much more opportunity for growth right there's not a lot of vcs are not investing anymore in in crypto companies a lot of crypto companies are dead already or are dying slowly dying there's less and less exchanges being active there's more and more regulation coming up which is not good at all for the crypto space. And that's why I decided, hey, what's a cool opportunity where it's a startup, it's maybe a bigger startup, but also something where I have a good opportunity to grow, to build a business, to build a network, but also where I can leverage my, my, my skills. So Reddit was actually this opportunity for me specifically, because I, I'm focusing now on B2B tech and finance companies. So I'm leveraging my background and my connections in, in the financial industry to unlock those players called Reddit. And it's been super interesting as well, being at this stage of the company to see how, what challenges are there. And basically you also have a huge greenfield, right? So I can have a lot of freedom to onboard whatever client I would like to onboard and to build my book of business myself without all too much corporate influence. Like I had, for instance, at Google, or it would be the case at Meta or TikTok. So it is the perfect balance between startup, kind of a bigger company as well. It has a really good brand. I'm a Reddit user myself. So I really identify myself with the product and just learning wise as well. It's a very branding focused type of platform, consideration focused platform. And it's also the first time I'm working for a challenger 
platform. So BlackRock, largest investment manager worldwide, mm. Google, largest mm. platform, Fireblocks, biggest infrastructure provider, Reddit, probably number five, number six, number seven on most media plans for agencies or for bigger brands. That has been a really good learning experience because the grind is different. Yeah, So we are literally fighting for budgets, very scrappy way. And being the underdog is interesting as well. It's not nice, but you grow through that, which is, yeah, basically a part of my journey where I learned something new and yeah, I, I really like it at the moment. It's a really nice opportunity. Sick. And uh, now to wrap up, Janis, three, three quick questions. If you, is there anything you would do different or you would tell yourself if you could go back seven years, if you had two minutes with yourself, what would you tell yourself? So I don't have any regrets so far in terms of my career making or career decision making, which is good because otherwise I would not know the things I know. However, I would tell myself, because back in the days, I didn't have anyone who's, let's say, works in maybe tech space or is, I don't know, really in entrepreneurship or just a successful business person. I didn't have anyone like that in my environment. So my family, my friends, not a single person. So I didn't have anyone to ask for advice. So I just thought back in the days, I have to study finance because that's how we make money. This simple way of thinking without actually considering, hey, there's all these tech companies out there. Why don't you do, I don't know, something in that specific space? So I would have told myself to either go for engineering or maybe marketing and sales, something like that. Yeah. So there's two, two different worlds. I would have considered because right now with all the finest knowledge I I have, it's actually all the studies, they didn't bring me that much wisdom. Only the practical experience of BlackRock brought me this wisdom of, hey, this is how we need to invest. And that is basically it. Yeah. And has your, has your motivation, has the, have the values changed? Money and learnings? Money and learnings is still the main driver. Nice. Actually, yeah. Money, learnings and network. Now I actually, when I was younger, I didn't value network that much as I do now. So network is a really important part as well for me. So building client relationships, getting connected to key decision makers at bigger companies, building a reputation as well in the industry as someone who knows the industry and is reliable and can help you out and help you grow. It's yeah, that, that's the thing I'm building on, on right now. I actually have two ones left, maybe one, one fun one, and then one more philosophical one, or maybe the philosophical first and yeah. the fun one, uh, just the, your take on the future of work, mobility. How do you think about this in the future? How do you think about non-typical career paths, non-linearity in careers? Like what's your top line take on this? Yeah, I think mm, you really have to pay attention to the bigger trends, right? So there's obviously we all know that. ChatGPT and all those LLMs have revolutionized the modern way of working, but that's specifically in, in industries like, or let's say in fields like sales and marketing, engineering, obviously as well. So if you're from those fields that you have to really focus on ChatGPT and learn these new skills and these new tools and become really solid and a power user basically, but in other industries. I'm not quite sure if they're that much aware of what, what's going on in, in the world of ChatGPT because we're all in, a, in this bubble. And I know a lot that a lot of companies are not allowed to actually use ChatGPT due to the yeah, data sharing and PA type of yeah, issues it brings with it, right? So there's a lot of comp like in, yeah, internal data they don't want to share with the external party. They don't also, also, they know what's going to happen with it. So regarding future of work, I think more and more people will become more flexible in their careers. So they would dare to do like a career shift more often, or that would not be like a deal breaker anymore. So I think back in the days, that would be weird if you started in finance and you then went to Google and you know, did some, you know, tech stuff, and then you went to cybersecurity. And nowadays, I think people actually, or at least from my perspective, I really appreciate having these different perspectives and seeing all those, these different worlds, because 
you can move those learnings from this one world and apply them in this new world. And then the learnings from this new world basically accelerate the learning from the previous world, which is also super interesting. So I think that is going to become more and more frequent or we'll see just more and more of that. And also people just switch jobs so often, every two to three years, a new job. So if you really have this goal of making a lot of money, so you need to do that, right? So either you switch to companies and get like a higher salary or you grow within the company really fast. That's how you do that. But people switch a lot of roles and will keep switching a lot of roles because people want to see growth. And if they don't feel that there's growth for them, they just, yeah, they need, need to see a change at some point. And mobility wise, like you work for Fireplot remote, as I remember. Yes. Mobility wise, I would say, I hope at least that remote is going to become a thing which persists. Unfortunately, the big tech companies, they are pushing really back on this. They don't want to see remote work. I think for smaller type of companies, um, it's a competitive advantage if you offer remote work because you can recruit talent from anywhere. You can give your um, employees much more flexibility. And also, if I just think about it, I, I would not join a company anymore, which tells me to be five times a week in the office. I don't want it. I want that flexibility that I can work from home a few days uh, in a week or just also have the opportunity to work remotely. And that's something I understood for myself. And I also spoke with a lot of younger people, right? So who started um, during COVID and they were remote first. So the first job was actually remote. So they didn't even know how it is in office. Then they came to the office which was totally weird for them. And they cannot imagine a world anymore without the remote work. So I think for the younger generations, it's like a must have. The older generation is pushing back on this, but I, I really hope we're gonna see this development towards a remote and more flexibility, um, especially also for the bigger companies. And last question, if you were not in the business world and you could basically pick any job without risk, what would you be? Without risk, a job without risk. No, like it doesn't have to be a job without risk, but you can pick any role in the world and tomorrow you wake up in this role. What would you do? In the business world? No, not in the business world. I would be a basketball player. <laughs> nice. And for what team would you play? Um, good question. Uh, I think for the Lakers. Awesome. Then, uh, man, I wish you all the best, Janis. Thank you very much for, for, Thanks for having me. Get back well to Amsterdam. Thanks for listening to Nonlinear. If you like the content, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. Follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. That's at IamKrishi3. Three as the number and Krishi with S-C-H-I. Reach out on any of the platforms if you have comments, questions, or just want to chat.